This book expresses the, uh, uh, the consensus of our group of scholars that uh, uh, the importance of African intellectual history, African textual history, especially in the Christian tradition, has not been adequately grasped either by us in the West or by people in Africa. Uh, for example, uh, at the time that Origen and Clement were writing, this was around 190-200 AD, all of these uh, uh, methods and uh, a lot of the wisdom associated with the interpretation of scripture had already been developed, was, was, was uh, very sophisticated by 200, 200, 215, 230 AD. Those methods of inquiry into the text of scripture uh, were later understood, picked up by people in the Palestinian, uh, uh, Christians in Palestine, and then later by Cappadocia, which is some, where some of our greatest minds came from in the patristic tradition. And then uh, last is Europe. So what, what this really uh, amounts to is a flow of intellectual energy from south to north, that is from Africa uh, to Europe finally, and to America uh, finally actually. Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast, where we discuss race, justice, and Jesus. I'm Tyler France, along with my co-host and good friend, Neil Sandlin. What is up? What is up? What's up, man? Well, we are, uh, I guess, part two. in the swing of things now. Mm -hmm. You know, we had such a long break, and then we recorded uh, a couple weeks ago, and now we are uh, back on our regular schedule, Lord willing. And um, man, I got something laying on my heart that I want to just mention here at the jump, this came to my attention after our podcast a couple weeks ago, back in, what was it? May of 2020, um, beginning of June of 2020, I think, Mm -hmm. um, we had a killing, one of the most, I don't know, shocking killings that has uh, been caught on camera and video. Straight execution. Uh, Yeah, two men, actually three men, uh, a man by the name of Gregory McMichael, his son Travis McMichael, 64 and 34 years of age, and a man named William Bryan Mm -hmm. began following a 35-year-old black man named Ahmaud Aubrey, and uh, 25 years old at the time, actually, not 35. And he was jogging in their neighborhood, and they began following him, and at some point they... Um, confronted him, and an altercation took place. Mm -hmm. Uh, It ended with Travis McMichael shooting and killing um, Ahmaud Aubrey. Uh, You may have been familiar with that. This is not a new case, not something we're just finding out about. But over the last couple weeks, one of the things that has happened, one of the things that has come across that has just rocked my heart Mm. was um, on September 2nd, of this year, Jackie Johnson, who was the district attorney at the time for the county, Glenn County, um, she was charged with obstruction of a police officer and a a charge of violating her oath of office, which was a felony. Wow. And the reason why this has been just now brought up is because she was actually – She told the police department, this is allegedly, she had told the police department, according to the police department, not to arrest Travis Mm. for the murder. Um, And this is on, I mean, this whole thing was on video. You could just see it plain as day. Yeah, the video got released. Now, at the time. Execution. Yeah, and at the time, the video hadn't been released. Oh, okay. When she is trying to cover all this up, Uh, or at least allegedly, she is trying to push things underneath the rug. Mm Mm-hmm. The video's not been out yet. Uh, so she's hoping, I think, at least what the prosecutors are saying is she was trying to make this thing go away. Oh. Um, now, she denies it, but she has been indicted Gosh. Um, and, and is, could face up to six years in prison for this. And, uh, of course, the, the, the tragedy of this was not just that a person's life was taken, yeah. but the racist nature yeah. of of the killing. In fact, especially the neighbor, right? Uh, well, the neighbor was the one who testified against Travis, mm-hmm. uh, McMichael, Travis McMichael was the one who shot 
and killed Ahmad Aubrey. Mm. And then the neighbor who was following yeah. testified that as Travis was standing over the body of Ahmad Aubrey, he called him an F and N. Yeah. Used the N word. Yep. Now this this was William Bryan, the neighbor. This was his testimony. So he turned on yeah. the other two and right. said, "Yeah, this is what this is what happened." I'm sure to try to get his sentence, wow. you know, lessened because he wasn't the one who actually. Oh, yeah. But they, all three of these defendants, there's nine counts that have been against them: malice murder, four counts of felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and a criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And and what is what broke my heart over the last couple of weeks and kind of where I, it's been in my mind, it's been in my heart, yeah. um, is that then the justice system, which was supposed to prosecute these men properly, right. this district attorney then tried to cover it up right. and has now been arrested. The powers that be were, were trying. Right. To, we're yeah. trying. And the link, and you say, well, why would she do that? Yeah. Was because the father... Um, Greg, right? Yeah. Greg Mike McMichael worked at an, as an investigator mm. for the district attorney's office. It's all messy. So he's linked to um, the district attorney. Yeah. Her name's Jackie Johnson. She's she is linked to him because they work together, and they have recording of him calling her and saying, "Hey, we might have been involved in a shooting." which is crazy to say we might have been involved <laughs> right. in a shooting right. given um, what has been released. So, man, that's just been on um, been on my heart. It kind of yeah. weighed, and, it, and again, it just breaks my heart for the system, right? Right, Because we should be able to trust the system at all times. Right. Um, yeah, justice should be served. Yeah, and, and thank God that all of this has come out, right. and maybe justice can be done mm-hmm. in the end, but there was a sinful, wicked attempt to skirt justice right. and to um, not really value the life right. of Ahmad Aubrey, um, and yeah. and it just has when that got released, it kind of brought back the whole yeah. thing. And so I'm I'm sitting there thinking, well, if it brought back all of this for me, what has it brought back for the African American community for Black people right. who saw that video, went through that whole thing, and then now is finding out that the district attorney was trying to cover up stuff and she's been arrested as well. So yeah, just a tragic, tragic, uh, situation. And, um, man, it's just weighed on me the yeah. last couple of weeks and, Absolutely. um, made me dig back into it and kind of look at the, the case again and, and just be crushed. And, but I'm so thankful that even when justice is not done here and now on the earth, we have a, a Jesus who brings justice right. to everything in his time. And Absolutely. so when we're talking about race, justice, and Jesus, mm-hmm. um, the justice and Jesus and race all go together. Yeah. And so when in this situation we've got a race-based murder and then we've got justice trying to be skirted by sinful people, right. we can count in the end that Jesus will make all things right. Amen. And, and the thing that, that Jesus has done from the very beginning of starting Christianity is he's made things right. And he has Absolutely. used Africa yeah. to make things right. He's used black people to make things right. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. This is part two of the black presence in early Christianity. Neil, as always, we're going to get into that historical portion of our our podcast. And I know you were really killing it last week. I want you to continue where you left off and let's let's talk. Yeah, man. I mean, um, so many white people, Tyler, uh, and and myself included, like this was me um, until I learned differently. Right. So many white people in the West think that Christianity came to people of color. Mm hmm. 500 years ago through colonization. Right. And it, and it was, it, I mean, that's taught to us. Right. Right. That, well, yeah, that we, like, we're, we're taught that the way Africa got Christianity and the way black people got Christianity is because the slave masters gave it to the slaves. Right. Um, and in reality, Christianity was in Africa way before it ever came to Europe and ever came to, oh, yeah. a, as we discussed last week. And um, we kind of dispelled this myth a little bit last week. Yep. Not um, a white man's religion. Yeah. As we basically determined from the get-go mm-hmm. this was a, a religion 
first and foremost of people of color. Right. Then it spread to Europe and what we call white people yep. today. Uh, and the, the impact that Africa and black Christians had on the entire world. And so what I want to do today is I want to move forward a little bit and I want to discuss the growth of Christianity in Africa in the centuries following the origin of the church. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we kind of looked at the origin of the church and how mm-hmm. people of color were involved and black people specifically. And so now what I want to do is move uh, into the centuries before. Now, there's no way of knowing any true color of the people that we're going to talk about today. There, there's no way we, that, you know, there were digital cameras. We weren't taking pictures of our phone of what Athanasius and Augustine look like and stuff. Right. So we don't know for sure the color, but here's what we do know. We have it, a good idea. Yeah, even though, yeah. yeah, exactly. Even though we, it's highly probable that a lot of these people were, were uh, of darker skin. Right. But here's what we do know for sure. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt of the African influence on the early centuries of Christianity. Yeah. And Thomas, we do know that there were a lot of black people in Africa. There were a lot of black people yes. in Africa. And so still are a lot of black go. people in Africa. Uh Thomas Oden, who we heard right off the jump at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. um, his voice that you heard there for the first minute, he has written a book called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. It is a phenomenal book. Mm. And he's got, a, as he said, a team of researchers that helped him research. And he wrote this book basically arguing that intellectual Christian thought was a Asian and African thing, yeah, and then it spread north to Europe and then finally to the United States. Mm. And I want to look at the three countries that I basically mentioned last week, Egypt, Nubia, and Ethiopia, and, and discuss a little bit about what happened in the centuries following Christianity. So How it e- exploded. Oh, it just exploded. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and Egypt and the city of Alexandria specifically, mm. um, Alexandria was one of the most influential cities in the entire Roman Empire. Mm. It represented the pathway or the portal um, for Christianity to spread throughout the whole continent of Africa. Yeah. According to church historian, uh, a historical tradition, Christianity took off in Egypt through the missionary efforts of none other than the gospel writer Mark. Yeah, he was, yeah. So we have yeah. early Christian tradition that says Mark came to Northern Africa and spread the gospel. Traveled to Alexandria. And spread the gospel. Um, Established Egypt's earliest churches. Yes, the earliest Egyptian churches were established by the gospel writer Mark. Mm -hmm. And church history also tells us that Mark was martyred for his faith. He was eventually killed. But not before he had ordained many bishops and pastors across Upper Egypt and setting up a network for massive growth. Wow. Right, yeah, yeah. so the so, so these bishops and pastors and and churches that he planted set up this network that really set the stage mm. for massive growth in Africa. Yeah. Now we have several uh, ancient manuscripts. I just thought this was a cool side note, right? Yeah, yeah. We have several ancient manuscripts found in Egypt that have been dated before AD two hundred. Mm. One of which is the earliest manuscript that we have fragment mm-hmm. of the gospel of John. Mm. So if you say, what's the earliest piece of John, the gospel of John that we have, yeah. it was found in Africa Wow, and dates before AD 200, not uh, Europe, not yeah. Europe. And I just thought, my I, mind. I just thought that side note was really cool that how old that manuscript is and yeah, that man, fragment is that there is cool. and where it was found. Yeah. Now, other than the church itself, which The church proper, obviously, is the most important thing that's happening in Africa. But other than the church itself, the most influential institution to come from Alexandria was the the, uh, catechetical school. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some disputes as to how it got founded and how it came about. There's some different writings on this. But it's clear that it was created to train students to become defenders of the Christian faith. Yeah. That students were trained at this catechetical school in Alexandria to become theologians. Yeah. And this was happening in Africa. Yeah, in Africa. Yeah. Before there were institutions in Europe, before there were in in the institutions in the United States. In early Christian theological schools. Yes. They were like digging into theology and getting into it. We want right theology and we want to be able to defend the faith 
as we take it all over the world. Yeah. This school produced theologians like Clement, mm-hmm. Origen, Origen's called the father of theology. Mm. Didymus, Didymus is important because Didymus was the teacher of Jerome, who eventually translated um, the Bible into Latin. Yeah, the Latin Vulgate. Mm-hmm. He translated the Bible into Latin for the very first time. Right. His teacher came from this institution in Alexandria. Yep. So there is this long line of theologians who are massively in- impactful for the history of the world mm. right here at the very beginning. Another huge figure in Alexandria was uh, came around around the 4th century. His name was Athanasius. Heard of that guy? Athanasius was the 8th pastor of Alexandria or the 8th mm-hmm. bishop or priest of Alexandria and he led the defense of trinitarianism. Mm. Here's why this is so important. There was a heresy that was going around in the 4th century called Arianism. Yeah. From Arius. Um basically teaching that Jesus was not God. Right. That, that he was created. Yes, that he was a created being, he, mm-hmm. that there wasn't, the Trinity didn't exist. Right. And, and Athanasius, coming from Egyptian Christianity, coming mm-hmm. from Alexandria, coming from this institution, um, he fought and defended Trinitarianism against Arian heresy. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a biography of a man by the name of Anthony the Great, who was an Egyptian monk yeah, that, cool. l- that went into the desert to live an aesthetic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. This was the beginning of the monk movement, yeah, of yeah. monasteries, right. right? And Athanasius, we know this because Athanasius wrote the biography mm. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was Egyptian Christians who gave us the tradition of monks right. and monastery and aesthetic living. So... By the fourth century, in spite of persecution, and you can look at stories like uh, uh, Perpetua, a a woman who gave her life, um, African woman who gave her life for the cause of Christ. Persecuted by Rome. Yes, and and in spite of that, Christianity became dominant in Egypt. Dominant. That's cool. But we can't leave Egypt without talking about the most important figure, Mm -hmm. in my opinion— we, we, Athanasius, you mm-hmm. might argue Athanasius, but yeah, yeah. in my opinion, the, the most important figure to come out of Alexandria. How do you pronounce a, his name? Huh? How do you pronounce his name? Bro. I, some people. I know. Some people Augustine, say Augustine. Augustine. Some Augustine. people say Augustine. Yeah, yeah. The truth is I go back and forth all the time. So sometimes <laughs> I say Augustine. Sometimes I say Augustine. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. But he's the notable figure from Egypt. This guy <laughs> Is massively important. So oh, yeah. he he was born in eighty three fifty four to a Christian mother and an unbelieving father. It's interesting to note that his father ends up becoming a Christian uh, on his deathbed, mm. um, and so he was he was raised by his mother as Christian, but an unbelieving father. And from everything that we know, he was a native to Northern Africa. Mm. In fact, he referred to himself as a native African with dark skin. Um, <laughs> now, I mean. How dark that was, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, who right. knows? Who knows right. how dark he really was? But he wasn't white. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Augustine was not white, guys. Okay? Yeah. Augustine, Augustine <laughs> was not white. Neither one of them. Um, he actually left the faith of his mother. His mother tried to raise him as a Christian, but he, mm. he left the faith and went searching um, after truth in all these other places. But his search for truth led him back at the age of 31 to Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then in AD 391, mm-hmm. after his theological training, he was ordained as a pastor. And four years after that, he became the pastor of the church in Hippo. Mm-hmm. We have uh, around 500 of his sermons uh, still live today, like manuscripts that we. Um, still have 500 of his sermons, which is pretty cool. Oh, talking yeah, about, that's pretty cool, yeah. You're talking about the fourth century, mm-hmm. and we've got 500 of his sermons. Um, that have survived. I think they estimate cool. that he, I mean, tens of thousands of sermons he preached. I wish we had more, but his two major books, Confessions and City of God, they are still read today. I have read both. They are in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, they are admired today as one of the greatest works of Christian literature outside of Scripture. Again, everything I just said, 
is only Egypt. Yeah. And there was more than that, right? right? Nubia. Church history tells us that there was a pastor, an Egyptian pastor named Julianus. Mm. And Julianus wanted to take the gospel across the border of Egypt and go further south with it. Mm -hmm. And so Julianus requested the Byzantine Empress Theodora was a Christian. She funded a missionary, really a missionary journey from Egypt into Nubia. Mm. And so Julianus took the gospel into Nubia Nubia. um, and it spread rapidly. Mm. Nubians began rejecting the paganism and the errors of their ancestors and the African religions. And they begin believing in Jesus, uh, even reaching into the Nubian courts Mm. and the governments and institutions. Now it's interesting. This, um, Julianus is establishing, he stays in Nubia for around two years. Mm -hmm. He establishes churches. He establishes the faith, but it's interesting to note that some argue, um, and there's some historical evidence that Christianity actually got to Nubia before this. I mentioned last week right. that some people believe that the Ethiopian eunuch was actually from Nubia mm-hmm. and and not Ethiopian proper. Right. Because sometimes if you were south of Egypt, that was kind of all just called yeah. Ethiopia, even though Nubia was its own thing. So he would have been spreading the gospel in Nubia. If that was the case, then yes. he would have been spreading the gospel in Nubia, which would have reached before. Right. right. So so we don't know for sure when Christianity started in yep. Nubia, but here's what we do know for sure, is that when Julianus took the gospel there, it was prime and ready. Yeah. Right? And, oh, and seeds good. must have been planted because people started just believing and receiving the gospel, and, and the whole nation changed. Mm. The overwhelming majority of literature that we have today from Nubia, old ancient literature of antiquity, is Christian in nature. Mm. Um, it's demonstrated, it's, Nubia's Christianity is demonstrated in their um, architecture, in their uh, iconography. And, and how is that the case, like in their architecture? Well, because they, in their architecture, they, they have mono, monotheistic you know, mm. the Lord, he is, he is one, oh, okay. um, which was not the religion of ancient right. Africa. So you're saying they would like engrave. Yes. They would engrave stuff. They yeah. would, they would have paintings. They would have, oh, cool. um, uh, the icons that they held up and looked to in their churches were all Christian icons. Mm. So cool. by the fifth century, the King of Nubia, his name was, uh, King Silco. He becomes a Christian. Mm-hmm. And he is the first uh, African king to really push for Nubia to become the, the religion of the kingdom, wow. right? Like this is going to be our national religion. He was also um, re- was the first king to put um, crosses on coins, coins. I believe. Um, and the reason why this continued was because Nubia was one of the first, well, really one of the only areas where the Islamic raiders and Mm. uh, the Islamic community didn't actually go in and conquer it. Mm. So Nubia remained massively Christian into the medieval era. Mm. It never became Islam like so much of the other areas did. Uh, it's, it, this is another side note. I love these little side notes, right? We had one for the other one. I love this side note. In the 10th century, so 900s, we found a native, uh, a nativity painting, a, a painting of the birth of Jesus. And it had all the typical images, right? It had, um, you know, Jesus and Mary and Joseph and donkeys. The animals. And, and had the that. animals. Yeah. But at the manger, it also had... Africans wearing animal crests mm. and loin claws and playing percussion instruments. Wow. It is believed that these, the, the, these Africans represented other tribes in central and western Africa like Senegal and Mali. This painting that yep. we have found probably represents early evangelical efforts to spread Christianity all over Africa. That these Nubians, the Egyptians and the Nubians didn't just take 
their take the gospel and just right. say, hey, we just want our people to become Christians. No, they right. wanted all of Africa yeah. to become Christians. Right. And according to Vince Batu in his book, A Multitude of All Peoples, mm. he says this, if the Western church had not condemned, oppressed, and isolated the early African church, leaving it open to Islamic domination Oof. by the 15th century, the gospel may have continued to spread to the extremities of the African continent at an early period. So it is very possible that the gospel would have gone to the entire continent continent of Africa yeah. if it hadn't been for the Western church Man, condemning, oppressing, and isolating them at a very early period. And then lastly, Ethiopia. Uh, they, we talked about them a lot last week. Um, they are mentioned a great deal in the Bible. Um, but as we, and, and, and if the Ethiopian eunuch was Ethiopian and not Nubian, then we get uh, easily an early reference to the gospel going into Europe, mm. but it might've been there before that. Yeah. The fourth century theologian and patriarch of Constantinople, John Chrysostom mentioned in one of his writings that there were Ethiopians at the coming of, uh, the Holy spirit at Pentecost. Mm. We also have testimony of a fourth century Christian historian, Rufinus, mm. indicating that Matthew evangelized Ethiopia. So we have Matthew, Mark, Matthew, 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 <laughs> Matthew, the gospel writer, Matthew. So we have yeah. Mark evangelizing Egypt yeah. and then um, Julianus taking the gospel down into Nubia. And then we have Matthew coming and bringing the gospel to, to Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Wow. Um, we actually get a great deal of history of Ethiopia um, under a history from the fourth century King, uh, Azana, yeah, he King became Azana. a Christian. He began to make Christianity, the national religion of Ethiopia. Yeah. And I think I misspoke earlier because I think I said that the he coins, would, the coins yeah, thing, you, did. Yeah, you yeah. were probably looking at the notes like, Oh no, that's, that's yeah, not right now. Yeah. This was well, the one who put about. crosses on Kings, yeah, not yeah, King yeah. Silco. Right. Um, this is the, 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 the first one to put crosses mm -hmm. on, on coins. And, um, and he basically made Christianity, the national religion of Ethiopia. Yeah. It was, it's interesting to understand Constantine wanted the whole Roman empire to be Christian. Mm -hmm. His successor, um, Con Constantius, he was kind of in the line of the Arian heresy. Mm -hmm. So he wanted all of the world to believe his version of Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Jesus was a created being and right. God came upon him, but he certainly was not was the not second God. person right. yeah. of the Trinity and not God. Right. Right. And so he wanted to force um, everybody to believe this, including Ethiopia. Mm. But the church in Ethiopia and in Egypt and in Nubia stood against him and the Arian heresy. Mm. As the years continued to roll on through throughout Christianity continued in the nation. King Gebri in um, a couple hundred years later, he commissioned 12 beautiful rock-hewn churches mm. to be built in the national capital of Ethiopia. Under the Christian king Jacob, the church in the 15th century was committed to the teaching of scripture and the willful rejection of the African pagan religions. And this is where... Mo this is what blows people's minds yeah, yeah. about what I'm about to share right yeah, here. We talked. Yeah, this is this is wild. Most of us know all about the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, Martin Luther. Um, we know about Martin Luther. We know mm -hmm. about what Martin Luther did, taking the 99 thesis and nailing it to the church in right. Wittenberg and the Diet of Worms, and and you know, here I stand. I could do no other. We mm -hmm. we we and we admire Martin Luther's stand. Yeah. But Martin Luther was influenced and energized by Ethiopian church. So dope. according to Luther, the Ethiopian church was the older, I love this, <laughs> wiser black sibling of the white church king, Christian kingdoms in Europe. The one of the keys there was older. Yes. He he knew he actually met with a deacon from Ethiopia and learned all about the faith and the stance that Ethiopia had taken against Catholicism. Because see, Catholicism was spreading all over the world. Roman Catholicism was spreading all over the world. And, and Roman Catholicism was trying to impact 
Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And the Ethiopians would have none of it. Mm. They, they weren't going along with the worship of, um, of men and uh, praying to saints and the Marian dogmas, and, but they were not going along with it at all. Right, right. And the, uh, the indulgences, paying for the forgiveness of sin and all that stuff, mm. outdone. The Ethiopians stood against that. And Martin Luther looked to them as the influence for where he needed to stand. In fact, wow. Martin Luther said, quote, Christian ch- the Christian church is symbolized and called by the name Ethiopia. Ethiopia. So if you want to know what the church should look like, look at the Ethiopian church. Wow. It's high praise. So the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. has its roots in black Christianity. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. There, would, there may not have been a Protestant Reformation yeah. had the Ethiopians not stood their ground and for centuries mm. been Orthodox Christians and stuck to the apostles' teaching. Wow. Today, 45 to 50 million Christians in Ethiopia Ooh, to this very day. The Lord. They have remained a Christian nation. Um, what a God. What a God. And, <laughs> and the reason why this is so important is what Thomas Oden said in the clip at the very beginning is because we can, we can have this idea that black people got the gospel from white people right. who enslaved them. Yeah. And that is not true. Now, right. I mean, that happened, right. but that is not the origins of African Christianity. Yeah. What we have seen last week and this week is that the origins of African Christianity are at the very beginning of the church. And if it had not been for the black presence in early Christianity, there may have been no Protestant Reformation. There may have been no gospel coming um, to the Americas. So last episode, we talked about the importance of evangelism and how life on life among Christian brothers and sisters is super important. Uh, to not only reach people, but to make disciples as Jesus, hear me, commanded us. He didn't, he didn't ask us to. It wasn't an option. Nope. Not an option. Uh, We talked about how Christianity spread to Africa as a result of this. And today we talked about that too. Uh, But we also touched on how essential this is for the body of Christ to thrive. Today, Mm. I want to talk about unity. I want to talk about the beauty in unity Mm. and the war that it makes with our enemy. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong quoting Spurgeon at the top half. Oh, no. Uh, So I'm going to quote Spurgeon. We are Baptists, by the way. We are. Satan always hates Christian fellowships, he says. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. Mm. So Neil, just as ethnic unity is sacred to the Lord, ethnic division is sacred to our enemy. Oh, he loves it. He loves it. Yep. To the point that, uh, to the point that, I mean, that's even his first scheme, yeah. right? It was from the, the very to beginning. divide Adam and Eve from God right. and from each other, and it has been his strategy ever since. Uh, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, dude, if he can steal our unity and he can render us useless and weak than the other two, then that's done for him. Yeah, I, we, I just want to stop there and just, like, ponder that thought for a second. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of that probably. If Satan, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, yeah. if he can steal our unity, yeah. the other two are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he steals our unity. We we will kill and destroy yeah. one another. He don't have to do it. <laughs> we right. do it. We'll ourselves. take care. We'll take care of the rest. Which is crazy because you know the art of war by Sun Tzu. He says the most elementary military tactic is to divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. With the ideal scenario being a division of enemy forces fostered from within. Yep. So that the attacking army doesn't even need to lift a finger. So just yep. what we talked about. If the enemy turns on itself, there's little to do except just watch it implode. Yeah. If you can get the enemy divided, yeah, they'll turn on themselves and they're done. Yeah. And there's a lot of division in, in the church today. Oh, yeah. And I grew up in the church. I know you've yeah. grown up in the church and you've been in ministry much longer than I have. Yeah. 
Uh, we're not going to say your age. Uh, 43, y'all, 43. <laughs> but, you know, I came to know Jesus at age 16. I'm 32 now. So I've, I've been walking with Jesus for, yeah. you know, 16 years. And I, I feel like I've seen so much division, especially lately. I mean, I feel like it's oh, sure. way more than it used to be. Oh, but, sure. Uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, dude, few things are more spiritually pitiful yep. uh, and ineffective than a group of, of bickering believers, right? Yep. Just at each other's throats. See social media. Exactly. exactly. But it's not just only in social media. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it, it can be pervasive at times. Oh yeah. And it's, it's out in the open way more than it ever has been. Yep. And so you got political disagreements, Poorly handled theological disputes. Uh, God help us, racists or prejudices within the church. Man, these are all things that Satan loves and rejoices in inside of the church. Right. Um, now, on the other hand, we won't stay too long on Satan. On the other hand, few things are more disruptive to him than a united church. And right. Jesus... Uh, th- this will kind of give you an idea of Jesus's heart for this kind of thing in his high priestly prayer found in John 17, 16 through 21. He says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Mm-hmm. So he's praying to the father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, here it is. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. Now, one thing that kept sticking out to that is he said one a lot. He was talking about unity a lot. And so it's just amazing to think about that and and to think that Jesus's heart is one of unity. He wants his people to come together and be united. Yep. Now, absolutely. Little biblical background for centuries, uh, Jews and Gentiles, they were divided. They didn't like each other. Uh, Jews were told from birth that they are the ones who God loves and has chosen and that they were just flat out better than the Gentiles, Mm -hmm. the Gentile dogs, right? Yep. Then Jesus comes along, says the gospel is for everybody. Yeah, and all nations. now Jews and Gentiles are again commanded, not asked to. They're right. commanded to love each other, live with each other in harmony and unity as equals. Yeah. So these are different cultures. With yeah, a, because they the Jews didn't have. I mean, the Gentiles didn't have to become Jews to become Christians. Exactly. They, so yeah, exactly. cultures were kept. Right. Yeah. These are different cultures with the history of hatred, hatred for each other. So they have bad blood between each other. Oh yeah. And Jesus just they used to have mad love. That. But then they had. <laughs> oh, I, see what you, I, see what <laughs> I, I, I messed I, your flow I, up. I, I, I messed your flow I, up. Oh Hold no. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Back at gracious. it. Back at it. All right. Uh, so yeah, Jesus just flips this on his head and says, "You know what?" We're we're not doing that. Right. If Actually, what Jesus body, did, you're going to be united. He he did the opposite, right? <laughs> they had bad blood. He gave them mad love. <laughs> it was the opposite, right? That's, that's what he did. That's facts. Man. When that's he flipped facts. it on its head, that's exactly what he did. Oh, All this bad blood that the Jews and Gentiles had. Yeah. Now we're going to come together, and you don't have to become Jews. Jews don't have to become Gentiles. Yeah. Now it's about being in Christ. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to, we're going to get into that quite a bit. Ultimate unity has been achieved in the person and work of Jesus. You agree, Neil? Mm, absolutely. Amen. Uh, and the gospel is about unity, yep. right? It, it's, that's what it is. In Scripture, when Jesus says the word nation, Samaritan, Gentiles, like people, take note of that because it can almost always be circled back to his heart for unity. and, and right. Bringing people, reconciling people right. together. That's why I told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. Right. Here's this Good Samaritan who's helping out. And he's he's trying to get the Jewish people to see, like, this isn't just about you. This is about the unity of all of my people. Yeah. I heard Matt Chandler talking about that, and he said it would be like, you know, the good uh, socialist or something. Like, it's not somebody right. that was super loved in a, you know, in that culture was not 
but he's talking about that. He's uniting these two. Right. And so unity doesn't mean you said you touched on this and I want to I want to really get into this. Unity does not mean we are all alike. You know? Right. Unity and uniformity not the same thing. Right. Those, those few different letters, man, they change the meaning absolutely massively. So I don't lose my individuality when I become part of you. Right. Unity is not conformity. It should be a celebration of diversity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so one of my favorite things about the way God created human beings, like I just look at this and I'm in awe, is uh, that we're all different, mm-hmm. you know? I, I feel like it's one of the most beautiful things that, that he's ever done <laughs> for us is, is that not two people in history are the exact same. No one thinks exactly like you. No one creates exactly like you. No one has your same fingerprint right. or has lived your experiences. You, Neil, are a complete unique creature that is made in the image of God, and mm-hmm. no one will ever be you. Right. And bring up Taylor Swift in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> and because that is true for everyone on the planet, uh, we get exposed to so much beauty. Right. Dude. We get to just experience it all right. and take the it in. The beauty that is that is the diversity of the human being. Yeah. What other creature gets to do that? Right. Say that. Right. <laughs> and and there and other creatures may there is diversity in other creatures, yeah. but they don't get to bask in it the way we do as no. image bearers of God. Right. And that's that was his plan, man. And I can yeah. I'm, I rejoice in that. Uh, so through, through you, I get to discover and appreciate different cultures that have different language, not necessarily from you, you and I are right. <laughs> similar yeah. in those things, but other human uh, beings, yeah. but we get to appreciate different cultures that have different languages from people with different upbringings and different customs who listen to different music and, uh, dance differently and eat different foods. Right. And I think you get the point, like yeah. enjoy different hobbies. It's because of that. I get to benefit from the beauty of those things. Right. And, um, that is just, that's huge to me, man. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, such what a, a what a creative God we serve Yeah, that he has, he has done that. Um, and then blesses us to be able to experience that diversity among one another so that we change and grow yeah. and get to experience different things. And a lot of times I hear the opposite, you know, I've, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, if this person's in America, they need to speak English. Uh, and, and become part of our culture and yeah they need to they need to conform to us and they need to do this and and you know letting them over our oh goodness i'm not gonna say names never mind uh letting right. them over our border we won't have a country anymore right you know like and i know that there's layers to that but right but come on but like that, the, like the, the, the rhetoric that concept is and that right. rhetoric is very clear right and that dang rap music which I'm really grateful for. Right. I'm going to be really yeah, with you, yeah. man. <laughs> right. uh, man, I would not be who I am and, today and without rap hip-hop. music is a, like the history of rap and the coming together of rap is a yeah. beautiful analogy yeah. of the church. Even, Absolutely. You know? Dude from Jamaica moved to the Bronx when he was a teen, helped spearhead this art form. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the best thing about that, right, is that it didn't just stay with him. Right. Right? Other Cultures, black, white, Hispanic, Indian, all took Asians. I don't want to leave y'all out. Yeah, uh, all took that and, and kind of brought their own thing with it. it. Yeah, and then it becomes this hip hop that we know today, and right. that changed my life, and that Jesus used to woo me to Him, and and mm-hmm. so it's just unbelievable. And that's all God's design and right. for unity. Yeah, right? because you would not have come up with hip hop and rap on your own oh, dude, from where you're from. Heck no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, oh absolutely and, not. I mean, I know I'm not a rapper, but I love rap music and yeah. the history of rap music. And, it, you know, that's not something that we would have come up with. No, man. White, I, I wouldn't have had that soul. I wouldn't have had, you know, the, the shoot, anything. Yeah. But look how it's, it's benefited our lives and blessed right. our lives. Absolutely. Um, in a, in a massive, yeah. massive way. Right. Uh, so, Paul to the Romans in chapter verse, uh, chapter verse, chapter 12, verse three. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's just talking about unity again. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's a good reminder. Mm -hmm. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Check it out. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. So we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
individually members one of another. Mm -hmm. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on and talks about all these gifts, right? right? And so, I mean, he's just saying that, like, we're not supposed to be the same. We're not supposed to. It's not uniformity. It's not all of this conformity like right. to each other like it's we're supposed to believe the same things right but not be the same right and and because of that we can be the body of christ you can be right the arms i can be the neck or whatever i, right. am. I don't know yeah <laughs> so right uh so again it's it's a massive advantage that we're different yeah uh, so and, and isn't it true too that when you see someone in the body of christ utilizing their diversity sometimes you find out that you're actually into that as well. Oh yeah. Like there, there are people that I know that um, maybe they were timid to express their gift. Maybe they, yeah. they, they were worried how they would be received if they expressed their gift. Then they see someone else expressing their gift, and then they're encouraged right. to, oh man, that's that's what I like, and that's who I am too. Yeah. And so by expressing our gifts and and seeing the diversity, it's constantly bringing people in to the body of Christ, being Amen. able to use their diversity as they see other people using it. Yeah. And, and I just think it's beautiful that we're, we're united around, again, we're united around a common savior, common truth, yeah. common beliefs, right. but we're to be anything but common. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're no, to be no, exactly. anything but common. Absolutely. Um, and we're missing out when we just all try to make everybody uniform. Man completely missing out. That's good. Um, I agree. Because we're supposed to come together yeah. and raise the banner up yeah. for Christ. Yeah, man, that's, and, that's what we do. And we got an enemy that don't, he doesn't know what to do with that. <laughs> right. And the world doesn't know what to do with that. Um, and I guess that's kind of where we need to head for our application. So look at what the gospel has done. It has taken people from Africa centuries ago. Yeah. It's taken you and I here from the Dallas, Texas area in 2021. Yep. And it has caused us to believe the same things. Yeah. While keeping the uniqueness and the diversity of the cultures. Mm. If, if we could travel back to Nubia and Ethiopia in the second, third, and fourth century, the expression of that Christianity would probably look very different than the way you and I express our Christianity. Oh, yeah. Even though we're believing the same thing. Right. Even though we love the same person. Christianity is unique in this way. Yeah. Uh, Many other religions cause everybody in the religion to be uniform. Yep. Christianity doesn't do that. Yep. When you when you go to different nations around the world, mm-hmm. you are going to be experiencing Christianity differently. Right. Very differently. And I'm not just talking Great about point. language. Yeah. yeah. Right? I'm talking about Great point. the the way they interact. Right. The some some quiet, mm-hmm. some loud. Yep. Some um I mean, it's just so different. Right. The, the way that the Christianity will be expressed from culture to culture and culture. And Christianity isn't laid upon a culture and then does away with the culture. Mm. The culture absorbs the Christianity and yeah. keeps the culture. And that's the beauty of it and the uniqueness of it. Christian yeah. is unique. Christianity is unique in that way. It is. So if a culture from the other side of the world, mm. the other side of the earth in Africa, yeah. centuries ago, can be used to impact the whole world. Right. And that's that's the case that we're making here today, that's, is that African Christianity has impacted the whole world. Absolutely. Then how might I be used mm. with the culture I have? Right. With the expression of Christianity that I have? Yeah. How might I be used right. as I seek to unify with my brothers and sisters in Christ without conformity, mm. right? As, as I seek to be unified with them, how might I be used to, to impact other people? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And how would the church be used mm-hmm. even better if, if we would rally around 
the truths we believe mm. without demanding everyone conform wow. to us yeah. and everyone be like us. Right. Um, I would venture to say that Martin Luther was probably very different than the Ethiopians he was looking at and admiring. Oh, yeah. And he still called them wiser. And yeah, yeah, he called him wiser. And, and I think that is, that's the application that I think we need to walk away from this episode with yeah. is asking ourselves, okay, as, as, as the church, when we rally around the gospel and the, the, the essential truths of the gospel, yeah. and we don't make everybody conform to me, mm. how beautiful is that going to look when we're all together in unity? Yeah. How beautiful is that going to be? How much is that going to glorify God to say? Because that's what the new earth's going to look like. Yeah, and what kind of gospel is this that does this? <laughs> right. Like, what kind of what kind of truth does this to people? Yeah. And that's where we say, well, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is nothing like it, nor will there ever be. Yep. Thank you guys for sticking with us through this episode. We again would just love for you to share it. Yeah. Love for you to 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 like it on Facebook and and Instagram and and Twitter and and try to get these beautiful truths out there. Yeah. Um our our sponsoring church, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, does a good job of of promoting and sharing it and that kind of stuff, but yeah. we need um, more people just outside of our church to do it as well. So if you are not a member of Calvary Hill Baptist Church and you listen to this, share it so you can reach out to the people that you're in contact with. And we would yeah. greatly, greatly appreciate it. So on behalf of my brother, Tyler, um, my name is Neil Sandlin. We are the Outsiders and we're out. Wait.